0: last two weeks that we started to explore the story, we've developed a background of the woman at the well. First of all, he's a Samaritan. We spent a week looking at the Samaritan-Jewish question in the history there, so she was a very real enemy of his. She was also female in that time and place. Sadly, that made her a second-class citizen, and we know she was promiscuous, and that made her a social outcast. We saw it last week, that's why she came alone at midday to the well social outcast. The rest of the women would come together in the morning or in the evening. Yet when Jesus looked at this woman, he saw all her possibilities and none of her impossibilities. He refused to acknowledge all the labels that supposedly defined her. He ignored the gender biases that grotesquely reduced her. He saw her sinfulness as a disease that needed to be cured. Not as some fatal black mark written on her soul in permanent name. He offered her grace, founded in unconditional love. Yet for her, this was so far removed from any reality she had ever known, she had no idea how to deal with such a god, And so instead, she begins this mad dance with the divine, and that's what I want to look at this morning. This back and forth with Christ she goes, trying to avoid the mystery of grace. It's a lot like us. I think we'll find ourselves in this dance. So the first thing she does to avoid grace is she uses the classic defense of cynicism. What's in it for you, she says to him. How wonderfully human this response is from this woman to Jesus. We've been raised with the mantra, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? We, we, we can smell a huge car. Oh, sorry, Tito. We can... Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, a, a lot of people often hear me picking on Tito during sermons, and I suppose I should finally say we're really close friends. And that's sort of life However, you do need to use tar. He is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Jesus' initial reaction to this woman was so kind, so humble. Remember he said to her, I'm thirsty, will you give me a drink? He came in this humble love, in need of this Samaritan woman that we've already talked to. Remember who she is, but he came to her in humble need. This was so empowering and so uniquely different than anything she knew. She couldn't help but think the worst. So that's why she says, what's in it for you? Now, it's hard to capture what's in it for you in the English, I understand, because in the English, is you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But see, you have to understand a couple things. In the original, it's actually, why are you a Jewish male talking to me, a Samaritan woman? There's two emphasis. She is emphasizing the Jewish-Samaritan question, but more importantly, she's emphasizing the male female. And so basically, in our vernacular, what she's saying here is, why are you being so nice to me? Do you like the way I look? Do you want to take me home? This is what she's saying to Christ. And he would have known that and he would have heard that and understood it. Remember, she can't imagine any other reason for a man to be kind to her. She can't imagine. Now, notice here what Christ does. This is so subtle, but hugely important for us as he models to us what loving others looks like. He is not shocked. So his response, she says this, very suggestive question. And he simply says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He completely ignores her suggestive sins. Completely ignores them, And instead, he begins wooing her into divine love. Away from all these lesser loves that she's been chasing for the rest of her life. Lesser loves that she's so addicted to. So here was another man, solo, They were alone, and right back to her addiction. But he is so focused on seeing her the way God intended her to be, he gives no credence, no acknowledgement to her dubious ways. He wants her to start seeing life differently, so he moves in that direction, forward, not into the past. He knows judgment and condemnation at this moment will accomplish nothing to this woman. It will simply leave her in the dark isolation she has is sadly grown past. This is grace in action. This is what our God is about. I want to make a side note. Real grace is founded in unconditional love and does has as its purpose. Helping others become the person God intended them to be. Grace does not enable someone to stay broken. And I think that's why within Christianity we have so many arguments about grace. People don't understand grace, therefore they think it's something that just (coughs) enabling people to stay broken. No, that's not grace at all. Grace is always trying to get us to move to a better place, where the image of God in us is less and less broken. But here's the difference. Grace does it by understanding why someone is where they are. Understanding why someone is where they are. And focusing on where they can be, not where they're coming. We humans like judgment. other. We like judgment and condemnation because we think it works better but it really does Oh sure, it changes other behavior. I, mean, I, I can get my son to do anything just by saying your iPhone's not mine now. Oh, okay, sorry. That <laughs> but there's a reason that I have to say that 20 times a week. Because all I've done is modified behavior. I haven't changed anything. I have not transformed him in any way. Grace transforms judgment and condemnation. Jesus was about transformation, not behavior modification. Only grace, God's grace, brings true transformation. And we are called to follow Christ and follow the grace of the world. Okay, so, Jesus ignores her impossibilities, ignores the cynicism, stays focused on the possibilities. So she tries a new defense. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with the well and the well is deep, where can you get this living water? She goes right to the tangible, right to the concrete. That's, 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 that's something we humans love to do, especially in our arguments with God. Right? Jesus wants to talk about the gift of God. right He said, "If you knew the gift of God, he would give you this living water." He wants to talk about the gift of God, and she wants to talk about what she can see and touch. Where can you get this living one? So much like us. Because the physical is always so much safer than the spiritual. This is why when we're suffering, when we see suffering in the world, we want to talk to God about that. Because it's concrete and it's tangible. Well, if you really love this God, don't tell us you died for us. We don't want to know that. That's too spiritual for us. Just Why don't you stop my suffering? We love the concrete. It's one of our great defenses. It's one of our tangibles. But Jesus is using living water as a metaphor for himself. And this is an ancient metaphor that he's drawing on. The ancient prophet Jeremiah used this metaphor. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. This is a, by the way, Jesus to call himself the living water coming out of the Jewish tradition. For those who want to say Jesus never claimed to be the Christ, You you have to take this story out of the Bible. Because he does it here, and in a little mm-hmm. while he says right to her, that Christ, that's me I'm talking to. So don't fall for that argument that Jesus never claimed to be the Christ. Anyway, sorry, I'm just flying off my nose. Let me get back to the Shh. So he's using this metaphor that he is living water, but she only hears the physical, the literal. The Bible's filled with metaphor. Picture, story amazing how many people want to learn that. Anyway, again, come back. In her language, living water meant stream, river. Do you really think, she says, I'm just going to translate this. Basically, she says, do you really think Jacob would have spent all his time building this well if there was a river nearby? She's arguing with him, she uses cynicism, he blows it up, now she's using the concrete, but notice something else. Notice, in the midst of this, she uses a third defense, and this one will hit a lot of us at home. She says, did I go right by it? Hold on, come my See, I shouldn't have gone off my no. This is her third defense. Our Father Jacob, politics. She starts arguing with God politics. Jacob is our father, not yours. Now, if Jesus was into politics, into the kingdom of men, that would have ended their conversation. Because he would have had to defend his position that Jacob was the father of the Jews, not the Samaritans. He would have had to get into a political argument. But he did not care about our kingdom. He cared only about God's kingdom. So instead of turning the woman away with his political opinions, he simply kept loving her. So I wonder, how many people, how many people do we turn away? ever getting to know Jesus. Because we care more about politics and nations that are not going to last forever than we care about the only kingdom that's going to Run through your last month of Facebook. Turn someone away from ever engaging in a conversation about Jesus Christ. When's the last time you spoke with anything but Christ like words about the ruler? Fingers, I'm talking to myself. You guys that by I think maybe we would do very well to learn to follow Christ's example, if we're going to follow ourselves Christians. Christ was, served a loaded, loaded question to jump into a political <coughs> party. Why? Because he was more focused on dancing this woman into love, not in winning arguments. And notice the tender humility with which he does it. Right? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, rising up to eternal life. So she completely misses the real point. So the real point was the gift of God. She completely missed that. And then she misses the metaphor, really, of living water, too. But, but, instead of cramming the former down her throat, she's just going to go back to the gift of God right away. He doesn't want to cram that down her throat, because she can't even hear her, obviously. What he does, notice, he stays with the metaphor. Right? He keeps talking about this living water. Why? Because she's talking about it. She's talking about it. You see what he did she's at least now talking back to him about what he's talking about. And he's like, good, I'm going to stay right here for She can hear me. And he continues to try to meet him. And then, look, how beautiful, while the ultimate meaning of the metaphor continues to escape her, look what happens. She gets drawn into the dance. Sir, give me this water. So that I won't get thirsty. She was dancing to get away from him. Now, she's dancing to get close. She's abandoned cynicism. She's abandoned the physical. And she's now even off the political because he didn't quite. And while she cannot yet grasp the full reality of what Christ is offering, she is now at least engaged in wanting some. Got her. She's dancing. Her whole life, she has sought satisfaction in the arms of men, other wells, which have always left her thirstier than she was when she first drank them. Now, she has at least turned to something. that we usually go to just don't have what we need. There is instead living one that really can't satisfy. She doesn't know what that is yet. Most of us don't know what that is yet. I've been a Christian most of my life. I've been a pastor for the last almost seven years. I still don't quite fully Christ as living water. Dancing with God. Getting to know Him. This is a beautiful place Jesus has helped this woman broke down the walls. Instantly. Just right love mm. Of course, this is not the place Jesus is ultimately trying to get her. And, and we're going to see that next week or the week after as we continue the story. But, but it is a necessary and beautiful moment mm-hmm. on the journey for this woman. See, faith is a journey. And I'm not sure it ever ends. I think that's sort of a hangover from certain branches of Christianity that make you think, oh, as soon as you get that faith that maybe you think Jesus is God, it's over. No, faith, that's the beginning of faith. Faith is a journey. C.S. Lewis, in his own metaphor for redemption, writes of he's going further in and further out. I think that makes sense. If God is the uncreated and we are created, we're going to need all of eternity to get to know him. But there's always going to be more to know about the uncreated one, I would think. Always more to know about the image of God that we are being transformed into. So here's the thing. We always get worked up about where people are in the journey, don't we? Don't we love that? We love to be the keepers. Of, like, we, we climbed uh, the, the Ridge Trail at uh, Mount Mansfield this week, my family and I. And, and they had the summer you know interns from college and Measuring out and keeping the trail right—it's such a great summer job. But I was thinking to myself, boy, we Christians love to be those trail guys. Tell people to get back on the path, or you're on the wrong path, and this and that. You're the. It's a journey. I was just glad to be on the top Mansfield. I've learned this: you can't manage other people's place on the journey, and when you try. All you succeed in doing is using kids you I had someone tell me just very, very recently, they walked away from church because the evangelical Christianity let them know. I get it. Totally. Maybe she got sick of political arguments, I don't mean, know. Try not to manage people's place on church. body. Let's just try to be like you and go find a lot of sheep if they're locked, but I'm pretty sure he picked them up and he carried them home. I think it says that or the shoulder. It'll cost him. All we can do is come alongside people and encourage them to keep on walking. Just keep on walking. If they're behind us, that's okay. Don't try to pull them up too fast. You'll lose them in one they're way ahead of you. Don't oh, try to drive them back. You just can't see what they're doing. Faith is a It's not static. Don't put rules and live tests on faith. The only limitless test Jesus had was love God and love others. Someone you're worried about is really good at loving others and their enemies. Maybe they're a lot further up the path than you are. Regardless of the usual. celebrate the people are on the journey of that journey again. Often paranoid. That's what Jesus did to his Lord. And he did it by dancing her into love. He did not scoff at her cynicism. He did not belittle her past. He did not condemn her present. He did not laugh, laugh at her lack of spirituality. And he certainly did not engage her in politics. He did not grow impatient with her. dismiss dismiss her as irrelevant and unworthy of his time. Try to now imagine people in your life that you live with, you work with, you engage on social media with. And please hear them. They are this woman. And this is how Jesus treated this woman. She was not an argument to be won. She was not an enemy to be vanquished. She was not an obstacle to be removed. She was a partner to be canceled. She was a person. to each of us He sees exactly the exact same. We will just engage him. He will dance with us too. I am convinced of that. Because I have been dancing with him for a long time. And I don't even know how to dance. Let's dance with God. And here's the thing as we learn to do so better. Let's follow him his example. 100